Hey, buddies, fellow Franco fans. It is I, your host, Jason Rudy, from Desperate Visions Productions, coming to you today from the Desperate Visions compound, sitting inside the Franco Observer Podcast Studio. And today, for episode 63, film 63, we visit Le Jeunesse, otherwise known as Roland, the sexiest man in the world. A lot of different titles on this one, so this is a film I have yet to watch. I'm just going to be doing these intros and going to be watching a few of these off and uh, putting these together, so... Yeah, this is the film number 63 from Jess Franco, and uh, this is around 1974 this was made, so we're still in the year of 74, which was a very prolific year for Jess Franco, did a lot of films in, 60, in 74. Uh, so this is Les Jeunes Cieux, France, 1974, original theatrical title in country of origin, Les Jeunes Cieux, uh, translates as The Pleasure, and uh, this, of course, is uh, from the... Magnificent Tome by Stephen Thrower, which we get all the information from Volume 1 and Volume 2, both fantastic books. Uh, alternative title of this, Le Genesur, is Der Sex Playboy, the German theatrical. Um, no translation, which would just be the sex playboy. Uh, Italian theatrical title is Sexy Erotic Job. Uh, the French... Alternative title is The Sexiest Man in the World, Le Homme Le Plus Sexy Le Monde. And then finally, Roland Le Homme Le Plus Sexy de Le Monde, French shooting title. Production company and theatrical distributors on this are both the same. Comte Tour Francois de Film Production out of Paris. Timeline on this shooting date is uh, circa May, June of 74, um, which I think... Uh, May, June. Yeah, okay. So around the same time as the last film, Le Châtelis. Um, that was also May, June of 74. French visa issued December 11th, 74. Played France December 11th, 74. So uh, 6 to 12. So about six months from this was made to when it played in France. Um, yeah, the Comte Francois film productions are usually quite a bit quicker on the draw, which is good. Uh, let's see, France, December 11th, 74, okay, and then Italy, uh, De Mont de Sola, Piedmont, October 6th of 1981, about an, almost a full seven years later. All right, theatrical running time on this, France, 120 minutes, roughly two hours. Cast on this, uh, Fred Williams is the lead as Count Roland, Lena Romay plays Lulu, uh, Lulu, that's interesting. Yeah, she, it's a character she play later on, but with a different spelling. Uh, Pamela Stanford is Angela. Uh, Maria Mancini is the Lepilaire's maid. Bridget Monin is Barbara Bolt. Monica Swim plays Madame Lepilaire. Liza Ferreira plays um, Suzanne, Malou's woman. Olivia Matho plays Joe Corsia. Will Brock plays Aid, putting damp cloth on Corsia's forehead. Albert Ballou is Turcon. Uh, Ramon Ardell is Bidul. Victor Mendez, all right, as Prince Cromarty. Let's see. Suzuki as Coochie Coochie. Okay. 
Bigotini as Bertrand Malou, the valet. Malou, again, popular last name used in many films by Franco. Uh, Lisa Ferrer plays Suzanne. And then uncredited, Caroline Rivera, Pepita, and Anna Gase, Anna Gladsek, uh, a.k.a. Anne Garak, as Jeannie, sex shop owner. And once again, no appearance by Jess Franco in this film. So yeah, he's taking a break from on-screen appearances for a while here during this run. Casts director Jess Franco, writer Nicole Franco Gutierrez, director of photography Etienne Rosefeld, music Andres Benicho, uh, presented by IE producer Robert E. Nessel, assistant director Richard DeConnect, aka Bigotini, production assistant Victor De Costa, Fernando Menur, uh, and then let's see, music publisher Nicolette Benicho, uh, dialogue Ellen Petit, and still photography Ramon Ardid. All right. Production notes. Toward the end of Le Genesseur, we're treated to a tracking shot through Paris's red light district after dark, during which Franco cannot resist a proud zoom into a huge front of house display for his 1972 Alperaria flick, Les Ebranales, one of my favorite films, uh, at a flashy-looking theater called L'Atlantique. Among the other films playing are Dieter van Soden's 1971 softcore flick, Astrology Sexuelle, um, Sergio Bergonzoli's La Provocation Sexuelle, and uh, Pierre Ondu's sex comedy La Maitretiste de Vacancies, and Lucien Husserl's softcore flick, La Caresses, 1973. Another marquee displays a poster for Un Silence About the Canon, which is the French retitling of McHugh, 1974, starring John Wayne, released in France in April 1974. This combined evidence dates the shoot for Le Genesseur, its Paris lens material at least, pretty solidly at the end of May or sometime in June 74. Alright, the review by Stephen Thrower. Le Genesseur, originally to be called originally to be called Roland, Le Homme et le Plus Sexy du Monde, before producer Robert E. Nacelle insisted on a typically terse replacement, is yet another Franco sex comedy, an improvement on Celestine and Le Chatelis, though that isn't saying a lot. It's equally frivolous and very talkative very talky, but at least this time we're in the present day, meaning that we're sparred at least some of the farcical cavorting that period costume drama seems to bring out at Franco's thespian troupe. Much of the story is concerned with that venerable porno fantasy, the man who must satisfy an endless stream of beautiful women. Fortunately, there's another dynamic which helps to distinguish the story. Inasmuch as it's a rare example of Franco making what is essentially a buddy movie, the friendship between Roland and Malou is swiftly established as something that transcends a formal master-servant relationship. It's not stretching the point to say that while Roland feels he has to service women and bring them pleasure almost as a duty of manhood, it's only with Malou that he can be himself and relax. In the funniest example of this, Roland returns to his bedroom after a hard day making love to a bevy of demanding women to find Malou asleep on the bed. Exhausted, Roland flops down beside him, 
A discarded bra still draped around his neck. Malou sleepily wraps an arm around Roland, who is too tired to care. The two men snooze together. Physically entangled, their concerns about masculine self-image put aside. Male intimacy is rare in Franco's cinema. Men are usually solitary, and friendship isn't often a factor. They're usually either monsters, authoritarian stick figures, or fools, and they rarely enjoy each other's company. Consequently, Le Jeunesseur lets a little fresh air into what can be a stifling negative wing of the Franco Chateau de Raval. The last few minutes are the most amusing. As Roland makes love to his wife, having finally aroused her thanks to his burgeoning porn stardom, the lighting changes and a film crew step out from behind curtains and doorways. Someone holds up a clapboard, saying that this is a project by Phallus Films called Le Couple Le Plus Sexy du Monde. Leaving the audience to ponder the lesson, Franco defocuses the camera and the movie ends. Yes, it's a heartwarming tale of marriage saved by porn, a popular trope in the mid-70s, as the mainstream attention enjoyed by films such as Devil and Miss Jones, Deep Throat, and Emmanuel resulted in magazine think pieces attempting to analyze the social and moral intricacies of the phenomenon. Franco seems to suggest that the modern couple's are running porn movies in their heads as they do it, and in some ways he's probably right. The implications are ambiguous. Is porn an elixir breathing life into a stale marriage, or is the point being made that sex in the modern era is marked by alienation, with roleplay just the best means of dealing with it? If Barbara can only manage without her sex toys and manuals because her husband is now a porn star, it suggests that he himself has become the ultimate sex toy, a living, a living, breathing celebrity dildo. Interesting. Uh, the appearance of the camera crew at the end of the film serves to remind us what's usually missing from Franco's sex comedies, namely formal experimentation. Nothing in the style, structure, or technique of Le Celestine or Le Chatelis kicks against the simple rules for the genre, and until the last few minutes, the same goes for Le Jeunesseur. In his horror films, Franco is an iconoclast. In his erotica, he's frankly an A-E-S-T-H-E-T-E. In his sex comedies, the stylistic expression is thoroughly mundane, which can make the films arid and uninvolving if you're looking for the sleaze art kick of Franco's best work. In discussing the sex comedies, I've tried not to burden them with unreasonable demands and expectations, but inevitably, as someone whose taste in comedy runs fairly black, I find it hard to engage with these light and casually silly films. Le Jeunesseur offers a few crumbs of satire and contains a few brief spikes of interest. Music. Easily the best thing about Le Jeunesseur is the score by André Benichot. The titles play to a wonderfully laid-back excursion showcasing jazz rock licks and a Latin beat. Elsewhere, Benichot's favored solos bear comparison to Carlos Santana or Jean McLaughlin. Tucked away about half an hour into the film and recurring several times from there on, most notably over the Pigalli sequence, is a wonderful piece for a muted trumpet, xylophone, and flange guitar that suggests where German innovators Faust might have gone if they continued in the jazzier vein of their so-far LP. Uh, locations. Some interiors are filmed at the Placio Conde Castro Gumieres Cascas. The Hotel de Gunchero provides the location for Suzuki's nude sunbathing sessions, spied upon by Bigotini in a helicopter. 
<laughs> nice. Uh, the seaside town of Esotoro in Portugal provides the seafront and casino locations. Connections. Pamela Sanford wears her curly wig from Lorna the Exorcist. And other versions, finally. Uh, the French video runs 100 minutes, which would make the theatrical version roughly 105 minutes. In its original form, however, the film was even longer. Alan Petit refers in the Manicoa Files to a scene that was cut for length, running an extra 15 minutes. Uh, the film is usually around 105 minutes, 105 minutes, which for this type of product is excessive, so we will never see the Turkish episode, a sequence in a harem with Alfred Bellew reigning absolute master over a pack of pretty naked girls. Legion of Sue has suffered more than most Franco films from a lack of contemporary promotional material. Stills, posters, press books are vanishingly rare for this obscure film. Were it not for the Italian poster under the clumsy title Sexy Erotic Job, which is the version I have, um, no artwork for this film would seem to have survived into the present day. Uh, note, Italian press listings for the film refer to it as Sexy Erotic Job. Perhaps the poster was a misprint. Uh, yeah, Job with two Bs. Uh, perhaps, sadly, no Italian print has surfaced for us to check the on-screen selling. Problematica. Very sources add the following uncredited and unconfirmed cast members, Victor Di Costa. So, yeah, the uh, I have just a DVD-R from Grey Market um, dealers, and it's the sexy erotic Job with two Bs cover, but I believe the print is um, um, probably uh, Le Jeune Sewer or... Um, uh, sexy erotic job. I'm not sure, so we'll see. Alrighty, yes, like I said, this uh, isn't out really available on DVD or Blu-ray, unfortunately yet. But uh, if you look for it on the internet, you can find it. Uh, there are people selling it. Um, see European Cult Cinema website. I believe that's the one um, of Texas. They're really good. Got a lot of good Franco films. I picked up a lot of stuff from him. Um, good, good place to get stuff from. Um, so yeah, so anyway, there's that on that. Uh, so find us on, uh, if you want to send us an email, please do. And, uh, send that to FrancoObserver at yahoo.com. You could find us on Facebook and Instagram. Um, look for us at the Franco Observer podcast and add us. And also please, um, subscribe to the Franco Observer podcast on your favorite listening platform and download all the episodes and subscribe and tell your friends and you know we do this in memory and honor of Jess Franco bringing a new eyes and ears to the work of Jess Franco so yeah through life we bring new life that's always the way to do it it's always good for the spirit so um yeah so hang out and through the bumper music you'll hear the review of this uh I've yet to watch it review so I'm not sure who the reviewer will be, if it will be Eric or someone else, so stay tuned and you will hear. Again, thanks a lot, guys, for listening, and uh, we'll see you again, and uh, thanks for listening on this very cool episode 63, so that's awesome. Buddies, fellow Franco fans, it is I, your host, Jason Rudy. Welcome once again to the Franco Observer Podcast. This is episode 63 
Film 63, Le Josier, uh, France 1974. Uh, this episode is going to be a singular episode with just one reviewer, me, Jason Rudy, your faithful host from Desperate Visions Productions, uh, Sacramento, California-based filmmaking company. Um, in the middle right now, still of editing uh, Emmanuel and Lady Hyde, and uh, getting those on the track of uh, getting a rough cut on both those. And uh, we got to that point right now, so that's the first stage, and now it's looking good. Um, I had some uh, difficulties with scheduling in that, so what we're going to do is... Um, for this episode, it's going to be a singular episode, um, and then uh, I'm going to start going through and getting back to doing um, multiple reviewers like we used to do. Uh, we used to have Dan and Bob and uh, Collie and everybody doing multiple episodes, so I'm going to try to get some uh, rotation on that and get some new people in who have yet to see Franco films because uh, this is already up to 63, and I want to kind of get back to the roots of that as well and not uh, rely just on one person as much. So so with that, uh, you will see a rebound on Franco and uh, you'll be getting your weekly episodes without any interruptions. So this film is uh, film 63, Les Um This film I watched and I was actually really pleasantly surprised because uh, the last one, uh, film 62, Le Chateau Lises, Eric and I watched it, and we both just really disliked it. It's probably one of my least favorite, and his one of his probably least favorite Franco films. Um, yeah, it just it just did not click. But uh, this film, I wasn't sure because it's one of the kind of sex comedies he did uh, from like Celestine and then um, Le Grand Amoureux to a little bit lesser extent, or actually. Uh, Sorry, yeah, Celestine, and then uh, Le Chateau Lises, and then this, and then Le Grand Imreduces. But uh, this I liked a lot, and Le Grand Imreduces. Celestine was okay, and like I said, Le Chateau Lises did not like. So these four films are kind of that, that cycle that he goes through. And um, this one definitely um, exceeded my expectations. And uh, it's kind of cool because watching this... I had the same uh, feeling as um, watching um, um, Les Ebrenales, which uh, kind of came out of the blue, and and uh, I was thinking I was going to like Sinner more than that, and that one was actually my favorite, and this one has a lot of rewatchability to me, and it's funny because Les Ebrenales is featured in the film uh, during a driving sequence that I'll talk about later on, but, um, okay. So yeah, so, um, I'm going to go through like I always do and read the synopsis and then give my review singular, uh, on the film and, uh, let you know the list and all that good stuff. Took a lot of notes on this because I had a great time watching it. So, all right. Uh, synopsis on this. Okay. Synopsis. Paris, the present. Count Roland is a bored young nobleman whose sex life is going nowhere. His wife is a porn magnate, or a porn magnate and sex therapist who travels constantly, preoccupied with her position as a European sales representative for PSA, Pornographic Shops Associated. Her idea of good fucking is drawn from sexual health manuals and a 
passionless commitment to the Kama Sutra. Her obsession with the correct way to do it turns Roland off. Malu, Roland's sharp-witted valet and best friend, becomes his accomplice in seeking a cure for sexual innu. Malu arranges for the Count to pose as a valet, allowing him to indulge his sexual peccadillos. Great word. After a variety of adventures with a rich man and his beautiful daughter, a criminal gang working from a sexy nightclub, and an exhausting tour of duty providing sexual services to rich women, he is mortified to discover that a few of his escapades have been filmed and are now available on Super 8 in the Sex Emporium of the Pigal. When his wife discovers Roland's diary, in which he describes his sexual adventures, he fears the end of his marriage. Instead, his newfound status as a porn star has an ironic effect. His wife is now able to have sex without sex aids, and fantasy literature becomes the fact that he's now a porn star satisfies his peculiar needs. See, now... Okay, now I've, that's taken from Murderous Passions, Volume 1, by Mr. Stephen Thrower. Uh, the end, he kind of muddies about a little bit there. Um, I was going to go into it, but yeah, I'll go ahead and say. Um, so, he has all these affairs on the side, and he doesn't know that his wife knows. But then, when he wakes up one morning, his butler, Malou, tells him that his wife's in this his study. And he had been writing a memoir, which I'll go over all my notes. And kind of like a Emmanuel which was I thought this was kind of a, a male version of Emmanuel, where it's the instead of the wife of the rich businessman, it's the husband of the rich businesswoman, and uh, he has the sexual escapades on the side, which he he does as well. Anyway, so she finds the the thing and reads it, and uh, when he comes in and discovers, oh no, she read it. He's a little bit trying to tell her it's just a book and then she lets him know that oh yeah everything you've done has been filmed so he doesn't know that until that sequence so uh, the book has it kind of uh, delivered in a different way and then you know he finds out that all that's been filmed and that Malou was in on it and it was all a scam and that which I like because um, this is a film of total twists Um, and uh I'm going to go over the synopsis. Actually, no. First, we'll do the list, and then we'll go over... I already did the synopsis. And then I'll go over like my review of it and everything. Okay. Um, the list. The list. The list. The list. The Franco list. The list. The list. The beautiful Franco list. All right. The list. Uh, let's see. Um, number one, body of water. Uh, yes, there is a body of water in here. You see it uh, when him and Milou are staking out the uh, virgin's uh, palace, and uh, you see the water outside there. Uh, number two and three, sailboat and boats. I didn't really spot any of those, really. Um, I just saw the water by the castle, and that was about it. Uh, number four, palm trees. Yes, there's palm trees when him and Malou pick up Alina from the club. Uh, there's palm trees just outside that sequence. Uh, number five, jungle sound effects. Uh, didn't really catch any on this one. Number six, chained up person. 
no, I don't think there's anybody chained up in this. Uh, no, no. Uh, people knocked out and he- and you know, but nothing. Nobody chained up or tied up. Um, number seven, dance scenes on stage stripping. Yes, Lena has a cool. Um, let's, I'll well, actually I'll talk about that now. Uh, there's a cool sequence when uh, Malou and uh, Roland go watch Lena strip in a club, and of course. One of the famous things that Frank always does is he has the one person on one location doing the strip club, usually like in a room against a wall, and then he'll cut to the other somewhere else totally, and it's like people sitting at tables watching, looking at the camera or looking at somewhere else where there's supposed to be a stage. Um, and, and a lot of times it's like day. In this sequence it was like daylight outside. And I think it was supposed to be at night, and it's pretty funny. So yeah, there's. Uh, a uh, dance scene on stage stripping and she does a really good actually that's one of the highlights of the film is that sequence because Lena's really great in it and it's really well filmed and very cool um, and she does the magic tongue in that scene which is scene for is number 14 but that's jumping ahead alright uh, number 8 club scenes dancing yes uh, there's dancing not really a club there's a party um, when Malou and uh Roland go work the party with the uh, virgin gal, um, uh, Victor Mendez's daughter character. There's people and they're like kind of dancing and, and you hear music and that when they come in. It's really minimal. Um, I'll, I'll count it, but it's it's not as much. Uh, number nine, jazz music. Yes, this film has a really great soundtrack. Uh, probably one of my favorites. Um, there's a tune that's used on Mirror Obscene as well. Um, kind of this cool like xylophone and trumpet, muted trumpet kind of area. And uh, it's really, really cool. So there's there's really, really nice music on this. Um, the music's probably, like I said, one of my favorites and definitely a highlight of this film. It's got a great score. Some scenes, or some tracks were used, and then there's a couple that go all the way through and kind of jam. Really, uh, really, really good stuff. Uh, number 10, excessive zooms, and number 11, out-of-focus shots. These two come up together mostly when he's zooming in and out of uh, sex scenes, mostly I've noticed. Uh, the Lena stripping, uh, a threesome in a barn with um, Roland and two women, and then um, zooming in and out of maybe one other scene. Oh, yeah, Lena and, and the threesome on the couch. Um, he does the zoom in and out on that, but that's, that's mostly where he kind of hits it on this film, um, just mostly during those sequences. Uh, let's see, number 12, mirror shots. Yes, there's some cool mirror shots, and it's actually, that means something. Uh, you see, um, Roland at the party, um, with, uh, Victor Mendez's daughter, um, uh, Kukuchi Kuchi, <laughs> stupid name. Actually, he has a dispel different, but, uh, it's, um, let's see what I wrote it down as. Uh, do, 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 do. let's see. No, it was, uh, uh, let's see, Malou. Oh, yeah, Cuckoo, sir. Yeah, Cuckoo is her first name, K-I, or K-U-K-U, and here he has it as K-U-K-U-U-C-I, Kushi instead of Cuckoo, sir, or something. Anyway, um, so yeah, so there's a scene there, him and her in the mirror, you see, and then also, too, I caught it as funny, um, which I was going to jump ahead in my notes, but there's a mirror shot where you see the film crew actually in it by accident. Um, and uh, that's at one hour, 12 minutes in. Um, 
and that was a mistake, but I always try to catch one mistake in the film, and this is the one. Uh, okay, so let's see. Um, yeah, a couple of mere shots in there, but yeah, there's 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 some nice ones in here. Uh, number thirteen, mind control theme. Um, yes and no. Mind control, as in tricked. No, I, okay. No, I'll I'll say no. I'm not really. I mean, there's sex stuff and this and that stuff, but I don't think I'd really count that. Uh, Fourteen, magic tongue scenes. Yes, very minimal. Uh, Lena flicks her tongue at the very end of her strip sequence, which I liked because she flicks her tongue and then it kind of cuts after that. Um, but that's really minimal. Um, she doesn't really use it too much in this, but she, but Lena's really good in this film, actually. So, uh, of course, you know. But yeah, she definitely turns it up, and she's she, she's really cool. Uh, number fifteen, red light. Didn't catch that in this film. Uh, Sixteen, sheepskin rug. Didn't catch a sheepskin rug. Uh, no masturbation scenes with a C. A letter C item, like a candle or a cigar or a cigarette or nothing like that. Um, 17, mad scientist, no. Um, 18, fish tank shots, no. 19, talking parrot or talking chimp or any kind of talking animal, no. Uh, 20, end credits, yes or no. No, but yes. Uh, there's like, uh, he says there's a, in the book, there's a, to kind of end with the scene of the husband and wife, and there's a film crew that's filming it, and we're and then Franco's filming that film crew, so we see you know the film crew that, and we see a slate with the name of the scene and everything. So I guess that's kind of their um, end credit. So I'll say no, but it's but there is a thing. Uh, Twenty one handwritten notes. Yes, I made a special point to this. Of course, there's that one slate, but also um, there's a scene where. Lena and the other maid and Roland are having a threesome in the living room and uh, Ramon Ardid and another gangster are sneakily watching and trying to hide behind the curtains and he writes out a sign uh, writes out a sign on a paper that says go to the barn and so there's a handwritten scene so or a handwritten sign and there, he actually has that so definitely yes on this and it's really funny um, and then, of course, number 22, spiral staircase shot. Yes, there is spiral staircase shots in this uh, a couple times in this one location. Really nice spiral staircase. Uh, number 13, inept cops. Yes, they catch the criminals totally by mistake, all thanks to Malou, because Le, Le, Malou calls them and says that there's peeping Tom, like perverts, uh, voyeurs, watching outside the place, and uh, they get arrested for that, even though the guy... It's his property that he bought for Lena, so it's funny. So in theory, it's his house, but he can't say it's his house because he doesn't own it on the law. But it's really his, so he gets caught in a technicality. Um, oh yeah, and he's and actually that's one of my favorite characters, but I'll talk about him later. Uh, number twenty-four, final one: uh, belly chains. Uh, no belly chains in this film. Um, this is definitely the time period, but um, yeah, nothing like that. All right, so yeah, this is uh, 1974. was made in France. Uh, it was shot around May or June 74 and uh, came out uh, December 11th of 1974. I like this film a lot because, um, like I, as like I was saying earlier, it twists and it turns a lot. It starts off as one thing where you see the... F and it almost comes full circle because it starts off where you see a man who's like a butler and he's making love to a maid uh, in their quarters and she's really hot and he's good looking and stuff and they're getting on and he keeps getting buzzed first by 
the daughter that's naked uh, that wants her to service him and he rejects her. Then the mother uh, buzzes him to get out of the bathtub, played by Monica Swim, and uh, she comes out of the tub wearing um, um, the wig from um, uh, the next film, Les Grand Amadeuses, and also from, um, um, oh shoot, um, uh, da, 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 da. Uh, not can yeah no uh, from um Lorna the Exorcist yeah she, she wore the the curly haired wig that Pamela Stanford wears in Lorna the Exorcist um is used here by uh, Monica Swim as her character um let's see Monica Swim is Madame Lepierre and then finally buzzed by the third guy which is the old father who is the um guy that plays the effeminate priest in the last film uh, Le Chatelises and he uh, comes on to Roland, and he's like, oh, come on to me, Roland, oh, Roland, yeah, yeah. And then Roland hits him. He's like, oh, stay away from me, you old pervert, and and rejects him and then leaves and goes back to Malou and uh, tells him what's going on and this and that. And then we see him writing his memoirs, and then, he go, and then we go back and we see that, okay, he's actually a rich guy, and he's pretending to be a butler, and then we realize what's going on as Malou hooks him up as a butler to work because he wants to uh, fix up his love life because his love life was going bad with his wife. And Malou helps him to get into these parties and to seduce these certain women that he wants to be with, um, unbeknownst to him. And then we've realized later that his wife's in on it and everything. And and uh, it was all a big thing to, like, um, you know, make money off and stuff. But, no, it's cool. So, like... He writes his memoirs, and you see all that, and you see these three acts. The film is divided in about three acts, basically hour and a half film, uh, three different acts, um, different sequences, um, and uh, it's kind of like a male Emmanuel type, um, and I didn't catch that until about halfway through. So, yeah, okay, so um, he, uh, Franco gets credit in this as Clifford Brown, uh, first nudity, and this is 40 seconds in, uh, right away, you see um, uh, the daughter character, um, let's see, uh, it would be, um, let's see, darn it, okay, so Monica, so it's uh, LaPierre, the LaPierre daughter, I forgot to, that is, uh, um, so yeah, he's with Monica, or Marie Mancini as the maid, and then... Um, that's taking too long. Uh, Lisa Ferreira, I think, or something. Uh, anyway, anyway, so it doesn't matter. So anyway, so we see her first. That's the first uh, nude 40 seconds in. Uh, then we see yeah, Pamela's curly wig on um, Madam um, Monica Swim. And um, we see the father, of course, is the priest in the last film. I just made a mention of that. Um, also, too, and then so we see their house. We see him walking down a hallway with the rope, and that's the same location he uses quite a bit. Um, the uh, Palacio Conde Castro Gumieri's Cascius, which uh, is the hallway <clears throat> with the rope that goes down into uh, Dracula's uh, Dracula's basement, where they keep the coffins. It's also used as uh, in the Count Frankenstein castle and and a bunch of his films in that period. You see that hallway a lot with the uh, with the rope going down on the left hand side. That's always really cool. <coughs> And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's a cool thing. Um, and then we have, um, so one thing too, I'm going to ask some people out there, 
I'm going to try to research it too. Where this was filmed um, was was in Paris and that, and in some of the same locations. But um, there's a cool across from the place where he lives that he's writing. There's like it almost looks like um, the Matterhorn from Disneyland, like across the street. And I thought, oh, maybe that's Paris Disney or something. So I looked it up, and Paris Disney wasn't built for like another 20 years after this. So. But yeah, it's almost like a Matterhorn type type mountain, and it's totally like right in the middle of the city. It's like you see this mountain, and is in the credit sequence, and then at the end too, um, it's like this Matterhorn looking mountain, and it's in some like place. I don't know if it's like a tourist thing or what. And then you just see the sidewalk, and then cars across the street, and then across the street is where he lives. So it's just it's bizarre. It's like right in the middle of the city. So I don't know what that is, but uh, if anybody out there knows what that is, um, definitely let me know. Um, uh, so yeah, so we see, uh, and then we see a uh, Roland writing his memoirs, um, and uh, there's a funny scene where he's with his wife, and he's kind of talking about what's going on, and his wife's you know works for that porno company, and uh, she has her gear, and she opens up the suitcase with like 15 different kind of condoms, and she goes through all these different condoms, and, and it talks about them and everything, which is a pretty funny scene, um, and uh, so he has problems in bed with her, and he, and he can't get it up because she's really technical and. She does all these positions and, and time and everything, and she doesn't fill it. She doesn't. She's not passionate to him, so he goes to Malou for advice. And um, so we see them. Uh, he gets infatuated with this woman who's supposedly this uh, virgin of uh, Victor Mendez's character. He's Prince Gronkomate, G-R-O-K-U-M-A-T-E, and his daughter is uh, played by Suzuki. She's... Kikuchi Kuchi, and she's uh, supposedly this like virgin uh, that he wants to be with, and so they work their way. But what's funny is um, it's pretty inventive. So Franco has a scene where supposedly um, Bigotini and uh, Roland, played by Fred Williams, who's really good in this film actually, he's a good lead. Uh, Fred Williams and Bigotini are like in this helicopter, and they're supposed to be helicoptering over this location, looking at this girl sunbathing nude. And their father comes out with a shotgun, and he points it up at the helicopter and shoots them, and they try to like fly away and and try to be sneaky. So, so what's cool is Franco found um, this helicopter. He has footage of a, of a helicopter. I don't know if he rented it or f- just happened by this footage, or just filmed just some helicopter flying, helicopter shots of a helicopter flying, and then a helicopter kind of landing by a truck, and then a couple other shots of this helicopter kind of flying over the city. So he superimpo- so he cuts between these he- this helicopter flying and then shots from like um above like say uh higher up looking down at this location like say maybe another story up higher like say he's on like the third floor looking down at the first floor and like the father is like like from the helicopter's point of view and then for close-ups of Bigotini and uh, Roland inside the helicopter, he uses this like piece of glass, kind of this curved glass in front of them, and just shoots this close up of like their faces looking through this glass, kind of looking down like you're looking at the cockpit of the helicopter. So in actuality, there's no helicopter. It's just them with this glass. Uh, some shots of Franco being elevated, looking downward, and then the actors acting out on the scene and it's really cheaply done but it's very effective and then with the voiceovers of oh he's shooting at us we better land and then the footage stock footage of the helicopter landing and trying to land and other stuff so 
it's really clever and uh, pretty creative for the amount of money to have a sequence like that that could have cost a lot of money if you did it technically and by the books and he got it off for a really probably for next to nothing and uh, got that same effect so that's a really cool sequence to watch if you're a filmmaker without any money um, and want to film a helicopter sequence that's that's a good idea um, so yeah and I'm going to take my advice for that myself as well uh, so yeah so then we have the uh, dinner party sequence the mirror shot with her um, which I had mentioned and um, there's a um, so yeah Roland's this party <clears throat> and he's trying to f- trying to get with this virgin uh, this Asian gal and um, meanwhile Pamela Stanford's character is like this rich woman uh, and married to this guy who's like this oil magistrate or something or some oil tycoon or something and uh, she he keeps serving her drinks and she's infatuated with him so basically Roland goes and at midnight he bounces back and forth between the uh, virgin gal and uh, Pamela Stanford's character and he runs from bedroom back to forth, bedroom from five minutes here, five minutes there, goes back and forth, back and forth, and has sex with both of them. It's kind of a goofy sequence. A lot of this is like kind of Three's Company type humor, but like more of a hard R, you know. Um, a lot of nudity and stuff, but there's no close-up shots or anything. It's 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 soft X, hard R, definitely. Um, and let's see. Okay, so then after that, um, he's like writing that sequence down. Then we go to real time, and basically there's a sequence where uh, his wife comes back from her trip, and he has to join her um, at dinner with some uh, two business clients that are had flown from Japan, and it's a man and woman, and they're in this kind of this like club, some like f- real like trendy uh, place in Paris to eat. It's kind of like some new wave thing or something. I don't know, but uh, it's kind of a dumb scene, man and woman, and they're supposed to be speaking Japanese, and it's not Japanese, and and then the husband and wife are eating monkey brain, and uh, it's just dumb. Um, so there's that sequence. Um, and then, so I was watching this movie. It's like, okay, it's whatever here and there. So then, um, but then Lena comes in, of course, and the whole film picks up. And then it changes because you have the first, uh, the sequence of him, like, with his wife. And then, meeting, you know, and then the butler helped him out. And then him having that first escapade. And then that, boom. And then it goes to the Lena sequence, which is really good. So you see Lena, uh, for her introduction, is a, her strip club sequence at a, at a club. And uh, she's stripping on like this cool blue blue floor, like a blue carpet. And this really cool jazz jazz song playing with her. Uh, and zoom in and out of focus. It's got the... Uh, it's, got the uh, it's cool because it's shot in three different places. Basically, it's when Malou and... Um, uh, Roland come in basically Malou had written a letter well he had told Roland, he had told Roland of course you know it's all bullshit now but he had basically told him that he had written a letter to this guy and he's going to try to be a butler for this like famous gangster and of course Lena plays um, the gangster's kind of like side piece uh, second or third girlfriend that he doesn't really hang out with anymore but he bought her a house and, and, and they had like a side thing going and she strips at his club and, and, and he's uh he's the crime boss, um Pirate Joe, and actually that's my, my favorite character. I thought it was a really cool name. Um Joe Corsia, uh played by Olivier Mathot, who's actually in like one or two other Franco films around this time, and he's actually really good in this. He's um he's oh yeah, I mean assuming um before I jump ahead. So they 
when Lee Winham walk in and see Lena stripping. So we see Lena stripping at the one location on the blue floor. Then you, you see it cut to where Malou and him walk into this kind of like dance club place. That, and it's kind of dark as the second location where we see them supposedly watching Lena strip. And then the third location is the tables of people not seen with Lena or not seen with uh, Malou and Roland, but they're a side thing. And it's light behind them with like sunlight shining in from behind them. And there's supposed to be the crowd watching them along with Malou and them, which is really funny. If you piece it all together, so it's three locations. It's supposed to be one. So, uh, yeah, so we have the subplot of uh, the crime boss. So basically there's this crime boss, and we see while Lena's stripping and they're watching, we see in the kind of back room in this club where there's this crime boss. And um, they have him here as um, Joe Corsia, but uh, his name is um, Pirate Joe. And Pirate Joe is uh, Al Capone's nephew. So he's got like this whole like cool backstory. Like Franco wrote him a lot of cool stuff. He's like Al Capone's nephew. He like kills all these people. And basically we see Pirate Joe sitting with a couple of his henchmen. Uh, another guy with a big mustache that's in another Franco film around this time. I think Let's Hope and Alice as well. Um, but yeah, they're kind of around this period. And then um, Ramon Ardid plays one of the gangster hitmen as well. And Pirate Joe's basically figuring out that these guys want to kill him and cops are after him and he's trying to figure out a way to fake his death and he says well I'm going to try to like find a double of myself and then like set him up and kill the guy and like put him in a place and burn it so then uh, when they find his body they'll think it's me and then I can go and do whatever I want and they'll think I'm dead so basically uh, when Malou and Roland come in he uh, he's going to kick him out then he looks at Roland and realizes Roland and him are Produce same and build and this and that and stuff. So he decides to hire Roland and Malou to be his butlers. But it's all a scam because he's going to use Roland as his body double and try to kill him. And um, he tells Lena, hey, I want you to seduce this guy. I'm hiring these two guys as your bumbling bodyguards. But uh, you're going to seduce um, Roland in the barn. And then we're going to burn it. But you're going to get out. Which, of course, he was, he was probably going to kill her. And, uh, you know, and it's all part of the thing. I'll pay 25000 25, to do it and stuff. So she agrees to the price. So they get have a plan together to basically work and kill um, the deal. Uh, so, yeah, so then and Pirate Joe is uh, brags that he's all man and that he's not gay and stuff. So Pirate Joe, you know. Um, so, and then we see Lena in her black chiffon robe, which is used with white sh- white stuff on the shoulders and quite a few other films she's naked with her black stockings and her black chiffon robe which is pretty popular among the franco fans of the uh black chiffon robe uh so we have spiral staircase there and we have palm trees when lena's picked up i mentioned and then um there's a cool scene when they pick up lena and she brags about her dress and she takes her her like shawl off and she has glitter all over her breasts and uh and then she which is cool because that predates uh, Shining Sex where there's all the glitter and stuff so she talks about all the glitter all of her boobs and she shows them all the glitter and stuff and there's a cool sequence where we are Roland and she turns and starts kissing the camera and does a little magic tongue at the camera and kisses the camera a few times so it's like kissing the viewer the voyeur which is pretty cool it's definitely ahead of its time almost like a POV shot um, so there's that and then uh Third, so we see uh, Pirate Joe, like I say, he's Al Capone's nephew. And then, uh, this is, like I said, there's there's a few film within a film references as you're watching. And uh, they start breaking that third wall because 
Roland's asking, they go, they go to the place where they're supposed to be at, and he sees his nephew, he sees Al Capone's picture, and then she tells him it's Al Capone's nephew, and this and that and stuff, and she says, oh yeah, Al Capone is his godfather, and he goes, oh, godfather, don't say that name, he goes, even the movie is terrifying, so they reference the movie The Godfather, and this is 1974, so it's like, like a, two years after it came out, or so, so, um, so yeah, so they're, so that's another thing where they start letting you know that they're aware of other movies. The Godfather is not a real thing. It's a movie. So, um, and, uh, it's funny. Ronar did when he's like watching Lena, supposedly watching Lena with the other guy. stuff. he does like a exaggerated little rascals kind of like, Oh, like watching. And it's like, plays like a really playful kind of, uh, little rascals expressions. I, I wrote when I was watching it. And, um, there's a scene where she's, having sex with him and another woman and the gangsters are watching and they're trying to hide and she uh, says, Oh, I have a lot of ticks. And so it does something. And he goes, Oh, there's a lot of people in the, in this movie have that same thing. So he's already saying that he knows he's in a movie, even though it's funny. He doesn't know he's in the movie, but he's referencing the movie, but he's really in a porno movie. So it's that film within a film thing, which he goes into more detail in the next film, Les Grand and Reduces. So definitely this and Les Grand and Reduces go together really well. And I definitely recommend both. Um, even though this film, that film came after this one. So, and I saw before this one. Um, so we have, um, Lena and Gal. Oh yeah. So, um, uh, Malou's really funny too, because, uh, the woman that's the, uh, maid of the house, she seduces Malou and, and it's kissing them and stuff. And it kept kind of well built and everybody calls him fat and stuff. So they, they joke him about his weight and they're like, Oh, well, you have to kill the, the uh, chubby guy first. And, and she goes, oh, you're so well-built. She's, like, rubbing his belly and stuff. And she's like, oh, and you're so well-endowed, too. And grab his dick. And stuff. It's really funny. So Malou's, like, this big, jovial, like, thinks he's not going to get anywhere because Roland's getting all the women. But he's definitely uh, starts uh, knocking it back with a few of the women. So it's pretty funny. Um, and then uh, so we see... Um, yeah, the crew in the mirror shot at one twelve hour twelve minutes. Um, then we have the handwritten sign by the gangster at one hour fifteen minutes. So those are two things on the list, pretty close back to back. Um, and then there's a the threesome with, like I said, the three of them with uh, good jazz. Uh, uh, there's like a xylophone in the score, and that was pretty cool. Um, and uh, uh, Lena has to get away to get that girl to get her to get with the three. So she goes and she steals the maid away from Malou, but she has to seduce Malou a little bit first. And she rubs her tits on Malou and acts like she's fucks Malou. Why the other girls? And then she runs away and, and then, um, Malou kind of recovers and goes, one of the lines is, Ooh, la la, the sluts. It's like, this his big, uh, like, Oh boy. It's funny. Ooh, la la, the sluts. So that's his thing. Uh, three's company very much like a last act. Um, I like how he connected uh, the shots of the editing. Yeah, so basically he did like a lot of stuff of like people looking out a window, seeing something, and then filming it somewhere else where you know when they're looking out the window, they're not actually looking at what they're looking at. You know, it's a different location entirely, like it's like he does with the strip clubs and stuff. And he pieces together a lot of different locations that are supposed to be one location with his editing and his choice of of uh, your eye line and that. So I thought that was really, really clever with the writing and that. And that, that was put together really well. Um, and it's fine too. So like Roland is uh, like, um, you know, uh, the big playboy and he's, uh, let's see, Roland, the sexiest man in the world. And then now Malou is also 
he may not be the sexiest man in the world, but he gets to beat up everybody. So basically, Malou goes out and uh, Lena takes him and, and uh, Lena takes uh, Roland and the maid out to the barn, and they're all fucking in the barn. She says, "Oh, we have to be in the barn because there's nothing like the straw tickling your ass." I tell you what, I filmed scenes out there, and it's filming on straw is bad. People get like allergic reactions to it. You get hives sometimes, and it's not bad. It's it's bad, man. I filmed hay scenes before with like some nudity and stuff, and it, it doesn't work out. So, but she's talking about how good it is, and he's like, "Oh, this is awesome. The, ta- the hay's tickling my balls and stuff." So they're like really pressed with the hay, which is pretty stupid. And they're rolling around. Alina looks like she's uncomfortable because they're like rolling around, not fucking. They're just like doing barrel rolls over each other. Lena looks like she smashed once or twice, so she's like, doesn't look unhappy about it. But the gangsters are there, and they're supposed to get to burn down the palace, and one at a time, they each go out and look through the window, looking in the window at what's going on, even though the location the gangster's looking into almost looks like a house, but it's supposed to be the barn that Lena and them are in. So you have Lena and them in a, in a quote-unquote barn, one location, the gangsters outside of another location that's supposed to be the barn, so that's location two, and then Bigotini in a house looking outside at them, that's another location entirely as well. So there's like three locations that's supposed to be one location. As so he does that a lot, a lot of the tripling of that. Um so and and Bigotini runs out and thinks they're perverts. The the voyeurs looking into the window, so he takes a, a, a rolling pin and hits one, brings him in hits another one and thought it was the first guy he's like whoa there's a bunch of them here and then he hits the third one but before he hits the third one calls the cops and says hey inspector I got these guys here and they're peeping in the windows I need you to come out here and arrest them so little does he know that they're actually gangsters and the third one he knocks out is the famous mob boss uh, pirate Joe uh, you know Al Capone's nephew and that they're looking for in that. So, uh, of course, please show up. And he has all three of them knocked out, and they arrest him and catch him in the act, and he's arrested. And so, you know, of course, Malou's the big bad fucking badass, Billy Badass. He uh, beats up and corrals three big gangsters, including the mob boss. So to celebrate, they, uh, him and his wife go out, and they drive around Paris at night, and that's a really cool sequence. So Franco puts the camera in the car, and drives around Paris nightlife in 1974 and shoots a lot of cool footage, which one thing I like, like about 70s films, especially like New York stuff, is seeing Times Square in the 70s and all the cool marquees with the movies and, and you see all the gritty street nightlife. Well, here you get to see Paris in the 74, so he drives by these cool you know theaters and sex shops and, and move, sex uh, you know uh, cinema and regular cinema, and he catches a few... Films that are playing, including Les Abrenalis, and he zooms in on the uh, on the uh, uh, marquee of that. He's very proud of that. It's a really cool shot. And uh, yeah, except he should have got out of the car. But all this is just traveling shots going going down the. Um, sorry about that. Going down the um, path. So that was a really cool. But uh, yeah, like I said, it would be cool if he would have actually parked the car, got out, and filmed that sign a little bit. But. I don't know, that would have gave it away too much, I guess. So, yeah, he just kept, does a lot of, just, just driving through the sequence. And that's a pretty long sequence, too. It's like, probably like maybe five minutes or so of just driving around and all the all the cool stuff. So, that's uh, always really nice to look at. So, um, all right, let me wrap this up here. So, yeah, and then we have the twist ending. You know, it was all filmed. It was all set up. 
and that he's now the number one porn star, and he's got the uh, different films that he's uh, his different fuck films, his escapades, and then of course uh, the book they just wrote of uh, his memoirs of all the um, things that he did, and uh, we see the cameras at the end, and it leads into uh, slate board at the end. So yeah, it was cool. Uh, definitely, it's cool. It's like you think it's like him and then he realized that she's in on it and the whole thing so yeah it's, it's cool i like how it flips onto itself um it's a cool magical type of thing that shows that cinema is magic and that uh it has a cool playful narrative about it doesn't take itself too seriously uh it takes the genre flips it onto itself and turns it into another thing very meta um definitely uh like he says in the book here with his horror films, Franco took a chance, and his horror films are very cool because he takes a genre and makes it his own twist. But his sex films are kind of straight ahead, and they're very, like, not the greatest sometimes, So, um, or especially the sex comedies and that. So it's cool that he took this and the next one and twists them and put his own thing on there, and that makes them definitely great on their own being for that. Um, so, yeah, so that's going to wrap up my uh, synopsis on um um, if you want to get a hold of us, please do. Uh, our email address is francoobserver at yahoo.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. We have pages for the Franco Observer podcast. And please add us there. And uh, we update it every week and so for all the Franco stuff. Also, too, uh, uh, Bridget Leahy is going to be uh, a guest in Texas at Frightmare Weekend, I guess, through Severin. So uh, that's a cool little thing I just learned uh, as a recording of this. So I wanted to throw that in there. That's going to be like, I think, in February or March since Severin's doing that. So, yeah, check it out with her, um, which Severin's bringing her in. So hopefully maybe Severin will release uh, Faceless on Blu-ray. And uh, I'd be fucking even awesome if they did. Uh, I burn everywhere, but I don't think they would do that. Le Je brûle de partout, uh, which I have DVR of that, but I don't think they do that. But yeah, they be cool. They did faceless, um, and let's see what else. Okay, so Facebook, Instagram, um, donate button. Yeah, we now have a donation button on the page. Uh, if you ever want to donate something, if you dig the show and you want to donate something for Christmas or Thanksgiving or whatever, I would always appreciate it. Uh, of course, you don't have to, but it's there if you want to donate something. I, so all that good stuff uh tell a friend please and about the show uh let all your friends know about it uh and they'll have new listening experiences all about the mighty jess franco which is to uh show new franco i'm sorry to have uh new eyes and ears and into the franco universe and getting his message and his films out to all um of course let's see what else uh what else i want to say we did Facebook, Instagram, email, download and subscribe to the shows. We're on probably all your favorite listening platforms. We're on Amazon, Apple, we're on uh, Google, we're on just so many of them. So um, Stitcher, all that stuff. So yeah, please download, subscribe, uh, like us, give us four stars, all that stuff. Uh, of course, it helps us. Um, all that stuff's not for us. It's all for the platform. So they show that people are actually liking the show and listening and interacting with that. Um, all right. So I think that's going to wrap her up here. Uh, thank you all for listening every week. I really do appreciate it. 
numbers are always pretty steady. Uh, we have a really good core of people that uh, download the film, download the film, download the show every week, and uh, you can always see when it drops, uh, like in the morning, and then you can always see uh, who gets it right away, and then who starts getting it that morning. So, I definitely follow it um, every day, and I chart it, and uh, I always dig when I see like somebody downloading like the whole catalog or or something because I know it's a new listener and they're digging digging the show so they're like downloading all the episodes and I always appreciate that so alrighty keep on listening and uh, I'll have Lena keep on flicking that magic tongue and I'll keep talking about it and uh, we'll be getting some new people and uh, get some good reviewers um, we're going to be pushing through after this of course is uh, Let's Ground and Reduces and uh we have uh, the mighty Bob Moritz returning for second appearance uh, as a reviewer for that. And then we're going to do uh, Justine and then Midnight Party and Shining Sex, which is uh, films uh, 64 or 65, 66, and 67. So that leaves us to 68, which is Barbed Wire Dolls. Uh, Barbed Wire Dolls we've already done from like 68 all the way to... Uh, Geez, like 80, uh, 85. So from 68 to 85, we've already done. So I'm going to go back and hit with the beginning of Franco's career and start the ones we didn't do. So after Shining Sex, uh, which is uh, film 67, uh, episode 68 will be We Are 18, which is the very first film he did back in 1959. So that's going to bounce us through and put us back on track uh, after we do the opening up until about uh, uh, Count Drag- or Nightmares Come at Night. Actually, everything before Bloody Judge that we haven't done before. Uh, we'll fill that gap, and then we'll jump back on track again with uh, Cocktail Special. Um, and then finish it out to the end. So, yeah, it's kind of a uh, continuity thing. I like to try to stay on a path and not jump around too much and kind of just stay one film at a time and do them all uh, in succession. So that way uh, it'll be easier in the long run to cataloging and listening and all that good stuff. So, all righty. Well, with that, I will say good night, sleep tight, 